Now take this empty glass. Here it is, peaceful, serene, boring. But if it is, destroy it. Look at all these little things. So busy now. Notice how this one is useful. What a lovely ballet ensues, so full of form and color. Now, think about all those people that created them. Technicians, engineers, hundreds of people who will be able to feed their children tonight so those children can grow up big and strong and have little teeny children of their own and so on and so forth. Thus, adding to the great chain of life. Hello, listening people. Hello. Hi, Bartek. How are you? I'm good, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Could you tell us all what the name of this podcast is and why it is that name? Um, the podcast is uh, called Spit and Polish Presents Pictures mm-hmm. Powwow. Yeah. Um, why come is that the name? Spit and Polish Presents is the overall name of the podcast, and Pictures Powwow is the name of the specific show that we, the duo of Spit and Polish Presents, are doing. Pictures Mm -hmm. Powwow is called such because I came up with it. Uh, It is a podcast in which we talk about a movie every episode, whether it comes recommended from myself, yourself, or the listening people self. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's basically we have a review and a discussion about the film and whether we recommend it. Yes, and we're spitting Polish likingly because we're always spitting. And we both happen to be Polish. And I've got some Polish news for you, Bartek. I've got the Polish news. Are you sitting down? Yes, I am. I have to. I've been watching in my spare time the uh, TV series Boston Legal. And uh, one of the characters is dumping a girlfriend and he's explaining this to a fellow colleague and he's like, it's over, it's done. And he's like listing all of these different ways of saying it's over, it's done, bye-bye, all of that in all these different languages. And the final one he does is, it's Kaputski. And then the colleague replies, Kaputski? Oh, I don't know. Polish has a certain finality to it. And I wanted to get your takes on that. Uh, Poland having a finality to things. Yeah, and is Kaputski one? Um, well, I, I I'm not sure that Kaputski is an actual Polish word for one. Um, mm. uh, about Poland having a finality to things. Um, yeah, if you wanted to end a relationship and you ended it by using a Polish word, would you say that it has a certain more finality to it than the English tongue? Um, I guess the word that comes to mind is uh, konietz. Um, okay, what's that? It just means, like, finish or end kind of thing. Okay. Um, I, I could see, like, uh, you know, at the end of a film, someone might come up and go, like, Konyets, like, oh, it's over. Um, I don't, it doesn't quite sound, you know, like a harsh thing to me. For one thing, the first syllable of it is Kony, which means horse. <laughs> um, I don't know that horses have a finality to them. Well, when they kick you, it fucking finalizes your life. So, we aren't talking about the Polish language all day, as much as I would love to. Yes, well, um, I'm glad you had some timeless news for us. Timeless, timeless. Oh, oh, Boston Legal is a timeless show. One of the main characters decided that they could run for president because uh, if people like Donald Trump can throw their hat in the ring, so can I. And this was made in 2007. So, it aged like a fine wine. Uh, but we are talking about a movie that came recommended from a listening person, or at least a colleague, your colleague, Bartek, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 
And could you tell us all what, uh, who and what this colleague recommended? Sure. So um, my colleague, uh, Mr. Joseph Lehotsky, mm-hmm. um, I, I've been working with him the last few months, and he, I've told him about the podcast, um, you know, told him a bit about what we do. Um, you might you might get along with him, right? He's a big sci-fi guy as well. Of course. Um, and yeah, he he finds it very interesting that I do a podcast. He's always asking like, "Oh, so have you done like Tarantino stuff?" I'm like, "No, we haven't." It's like, "Oh, what are you doing? Tarantino's so great." He's right. Uh, that kind of thing. And eventually, I told him like, "Oh yeah, you know, we we do a thing where one week I'll recommend a film, the next uh, my co-host Ryan will do it, and then the third week, you know, listening people's choice, where we get any recommendation at all." Mm-hmm. And, you know, we put it on a list and at one day he just happened to say like, oh, have you done like fifth element? I'm like, no, but I'll put it on the list. <laughs> like he wasn't officially trying to submit it, but I was like, yeah, I'll put it on. And that's what I did. Well, I'm glad the fifth element. Uh, and we are covering that. And it is an interesting recommendation uh, for the people who have not watched this movie we recommend you do, because we're going to be talking about it, spoilers and all. It's not to say that this movie's plot is at all that intricate, but it is a very much a, you should experience it for yourself type mm-hmm. of deal, is the way I would describe it. Whether you like it or not, it is definitely an experience type movie. It's definitely a sensations type movie. The visuals, the audio, all of that. Uh, is very tactile in that way. So, Bartek, you are the one who had the colleague recommend this, so please tell us all your history and relationship with this film. This is a film that I have never seen before, but I've heard of it. Mm. Um, with the fact that it has the word fifth in the title, sometimes I mix it up with The Sixth Sense. Um Another film that I also haven't seen, but as you know, I've tried to watch it once, but mm-hmm. my DVD was damaged um so when when this film began i i walked into it pretty pretty blind i didn't really know much about it and the first name to pop up in the credits was bruce willis i'm like oh god did i pick the wrong film (laughs) i didn't realize he was also in this film right so you only knew the title i only knew the title and i think i knew that it was science fiction in some fashion so you didn't know any of the actors that were involved in this at all or the director I think I knew that it was by Luc Besson, but I might have forgotten when I started the film. What's your relationship with Luc Besson as a director? Um, I've seen Leon the Professional and Lucy before, so mm. those are the only two things I really know, and I enjoyed both those films, so I was I was optimistic for this one. I am in a similar boat, where I know Luc Besson for Leon the Professional, this... Uh, uh, like you said, Lucy, uh, he did Valerian, The City of a Thousand Planets, which this movie is inspired by a lot in its own right, Fifth Element. Uh, I've seen a smattering of other things here and there. He's a very, um, a very loud director, is how I would describe him. So I have a history with this movie. I, you know, we always have these crossroads, don't we, Bartek, where I say this, and I wonder where you existed in the time, which was, this movie was on all the time growing up. It was always on. This movie was always on television. It was always on at a friend's house. It was always one of the choices teachers would make to throw on as a movie. This was always around. This film was always on. So my relationship with it is tricky in the analytical sense because... 
I had such an inseparable relationship with this movie. In a way, I was indoctrinated to like this film because mm-hmm. it's sci-fi and because it was always, always on. And so when I sat down to watch it last night, having not watched it for at least three or four years, I was just like, okay, analytical brain is on and I'm ripping this movie to shreds. Like, I could sit here right now and tell you everything that's wrong with this movie and how terribly it is screenplay-wise and how things don't make sense. But is that an accurate reflection of my feelings on the movie? No. I have a long relationship in which I've always liked this movie. But at the same time, that's a major uh, nostalgic you know, I grew up with this movie bias, but that is the nature of the beast with some films and some games and some shows, isn't it, Bartek? Yeah, that was was a big thing that we talked about in our Small Soldiers episode, I think. Yeah, exactly. Like, you you can't help but separate your uh, attachments to things, and that's a part of why this is art. Art is there to affect you. And if it affected me as a child and a teenager and as a young man those feelings still linger when I watch it now and I'm watching it for an analytical reviewing purpose. Yeah. And so I have a really complicated relationship. Uh, So you knew nothing about this, really. So tell us all what you thought of this movie and uh, what you got from it. Um, My overall thought on the film is that I wasn't too much into it. Mm. I I had quite a few issues with it. Um, I think this is another one of those ones where I recognize that people, you know, would like this and there's things to like about it. There are things I can compliment about it. But overall, yeah, I I can't say that I really liked the film. What didn't you like? What was like the big, what's a big sticking point? Um, The biggest sticking point I think for me is this is a film where, Um, there's multiple, and this isn't inherently a bad thing, this can be done well, but this film has a lot of different uh, factions to it. You know, there's the, there's the president, there's Bruce Willis, there's the, the priest, there's, uh, the, the villain, all sorts of different factions going on. And I feel- The aliens. The aliens, yes. And I feel like when you watch a film, you have your protagonist. They're the one that you, in a way, care about, that you follow, that you you sort of put yourself into their shoes, and you you want you want to follow them. And with this film, we have you know Bruce Willis. Uh, when he's introduced, he he feels very different to all the other factions that we met. Um, you felt like you did want to follow him, but I feel like the film, sort of like in the Last Jedi, where that film was like four B-plots going on, this film needed to kind of elevate his involvement in the film for me, I feel. I you feel needed like th- more Bruce Willis. Not necessarily because it was Bruce Willis, but I I wanted to have a more centralised main character presence throughout the film. I understand that as well. I mean, it takes a little while to even get Bruce Willis into the film. Yeah. And he just shows up. He's like, oh, and now Bruce Willis is here and he's a cab driver. Yeah, he, he shows up. He makes a really strong impression in that first scene. And then the second time we see him, he's already kind of thrust into the plot. Man, that's fair. Um, My main issue with the film upon this watching, and this has always been an issue for me, even as a young child, I felt this, which is it's pacing. Mm-hmm. I have a major issue. It's really slow. 
and yet it's very high energy, so things feel like they're moving really fast, but then, like, you have the opening act, or the opening, uh, the cold open, I should say, where one of the main sticking points is that they have 15 aliens that move as slow as snails, and as dramatic and as poignant it is as, as it is to watch one of them get closed into a, a, a you know into a room and their hand get crushed, I always found it frustrating and annoying and also funny, and I still do when the human guys like, please, you can make it. I'm like, no, we can't. Look how fucking slow these guys are. <laughs> yeah. They're so fucking slow. How are these guys like still around? They're so fucking slow. And I feel that with the movie. There's lots lots of sections that just kind of drag. And I think it's because there are also moments in the movie that feel oddly placed. Like, late in the game of the movie, Lilu discovers what horrors humanity has. It's like very late in the movie, she watches a TV screen and gets all of these images of war and horror and all of this stuff. And it makes her get sick and you know they have to give her love and everything to save the day and it feels like such a late last minute second going into third act plot point um to make her extremely sad when i'm just like i feel like she's been experiencing the horrors of humanity since she woke up in this movie i yeah but now it's affected her because she watched it on a little tv screen yeah, the the odd placements, I feel, kind of relates to, to my point. Like you said earlier, it takes a little while for Bruce Willis to be introduced, um, and then, you know, we kind of delve away from him, then he suddenly comes back right after the action scene where she falls from the building. Um, and my, my brain, uh, mm. since I'm used to various conventional, I guess, pacings of films, it sounds weird to say, um, like with what you said just then about how that the images of war coming really late into the film and like being such a major thing, it felt so late to me that it didn't feel significant. It almost just mm. felt like, oh, something's now happening, but it, it doesn't feel like this is a major thing. It's just like, yeah. oh, now she's looking at images of war. Yeah, because but, it's just yeah. there to look at. And like you said, because she has been going through various different emotional states throughout the film it felt like, oh, well, this isn't going to be much different from what she's already been through. I'm going to skip forward and ask a very important question. I don't want to wait too long to ask it. It's very important. Mm -hmm. Chris Tucker, what did you think? Were you for (laughs) Ruby or were you against? Because he's the make-it-or-break-it character. Even for people who love the movie, people love the movie, they either love or hate Ruby Rod. And I wanted to get your take on it because you didn't know Chris Tucker was in this. You didn't know anything. And I was I'm really keen to know what your opinions on his performance and that character. Yeah, um I'll I'll say this. I think forever ago, maybe, you know, a dozen years ago, I might have seen footage of him going bzz, bzz, that thing he does. Yeah, um so I think him when he after shortly after he turned up in this film, I might have had the thing of like, oh, oh, this is what that's from. I forgot about this. Um, but in terms of his actual entrance into the film, um, I, I would have to watch it again to see if he, he's like going to be foreshadowed or anything, or if he's, he's mentioned foreshadowed it at the very beginning on the, on all the TV screens in Bruce Willis's apartment. He's like right. advertising the contest. 
Right. Okay. So there, there was a bit of foreshadowing, but for me, it felt like, okay, we're at, we're doing this plot. He's on a mission. He's at the airport. He's going somewhere. <laughs> so you have to be on a talk show. I'm like, oh, this is a random thing, but I guess, you know, it's going to be a quick joke and then it'll be over. <laughs> and then the, 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 the and then it's there for the end. And then the, the king or queen of flamboyancy suddenly turns up with his, um, <laughs> Hollow pompadour, I guess. <laughs> he looked like a Futurama character. He, yeah, he had a very hollow pompadour. You could probably stick a couple of sausages inside there. I reckon um, he inspired some looks in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. He looks exactly like a character from that, too. Well, JoJo predates this, so maybe it's Does the other it? way around. I think it's like late 80s, early 90s. Fair enough. I'll let it pass. I don't know. My brother's in the other room. I could ask him, but... No. Um, yeah, this character, when, again, because he popped up so suddenly, it was this really weird thing of like, oh, I, I love characters like this, but I wasn't expecting one to suddenly, you know, appear before me. So it took me a little while to kind of warm up to him. At first, it was just like, who's this? Who is this? I, I like these kind of characters, but, you know, we were, we were doing something in a film that already feels oddly, you know, Paste and with odd placing of things, so... But did you warm up to him or not? I did. I did warm up to him a little bit. When he... In moments where he was panicking and it wasn't in performance mode, it, it did feel a little bit funny to, you know, have this character that was, you know, so confident in his performances and mm-hmm. always, uh, you know... Again, odd phrasing, but doing the right thing. He was always... Uh, in charge of his his performances and mm. and the the pacing around him, seeing that get disrupted and seeing him panic did kind of you know make me laugh a little bit and still rise to the status of being a hero. Like he wasn't pure coward cowardice to the point of being useless. He was actually quite effective yeah. in many scenes. I wanted to know because it's the voice. People love or hate Chris Tucker because of his voice in particular. And mm-hmm. I wanted to know if that was a factor for you or not in a ne- negative or positive way, because he screams and he's very high pitched and he's a lot of a lotness and <laughs> he's a make it or break it. For me, it's a make it role. I love Ruby and I love Chris Tucker in this performance. I think it's his career best performance, which annoys <laughs> people to say, but it's exactly what you want Chris Tucker to do in a film. It's exactly what you need him to be. I I don't know if you've watched many things with Chris Tucker. I don't know if you were a big watcher of those Rush Hour movies or not, or if you've seen him in a few other things. I know we never watched those first two Friday movies, which he is in. But uh, I don't Mm. know if you're that familiar with his catalogue of work or anything of him, But uh, or if this is your first real big introduction. I was I was wondering if he was in the Rush Hour films. Yeah, I've only seen the third one. Oh, he's um, the main guy with Jack Chan. Yeah. Um. I again, it was it's that kind of thing. It was like, oh, was that Chris Tucker? Or was that someone else? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I wouldn't I wouldn't be comfortable going on the a, a Chris Tucker trivia night. I'll put it that way. <laughs> he was in Silver Linings Playbook, even. Um. But I love him here. He he brings the movie an extra essence and an extra energy and an extra life in the second half because I feel like it, it kind of gets a little bit listless at a certain point and then Chris Tucker comes in 
to really liven stuff up, as does the diva as well. She brings some certain energy to the role. And also, Gary Oldman finally participates in the plot majorly in the second half once he arrives at the cruise ship. And so, I love Chris Tucker here. I love his outfits. I love... um how kind of weirdly on the money this character is, because basically he's a streamer. That's what he is in the modern Mm. standards. He would be like a Twitch streaming journalist guy. I love that. And I love, um, I don't know if you, if you feel similar, but I love how they take this vain, selfish, um, puff piece journalist character and throw him into beast basically being like a on the line journalist like he's there at the war zone he's the reporter on the scene at the hostage situation like yeah, he's the yeah. reporter <laughs> and he actually kind of rises to the occasion even though he's still ruby he's not like a different character he's still this whining pathetic high-pitched man child but he's actually reporting which I think is neat, yeah, and I it like is. that it, it gives him an extra, um, extra level of credibility of why the fuck is this character in the film. Yeah, on on the topic of him feeling like he'd be like an internet personality, um, it feels like if this film was released exactly as it is today, the fact that he works on the radio would be like, oh man, old white men making this film don't mm. understand the internet kind of thing. But- it's like, oh, you're so close, but you messed up with this old media. Format. But they wouldn't have to change his character, like the actual character. That's, yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. The yeah. character would be right, but then his format would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's obviously the internet. I love him, though. He has so many funny lines and moments. Uh, I personally love the um, the taking off sequence of the of the ship taking off, and he's going down on that chick, on the stewardess, and her legs rise up between the curtains as the plane is going off the ground. That's great. And, uh, I, I don't know what he was doing there, Ryan. The camera didn't pan down. <laughs> was he rubbing his pompadour on her thigh? Yes, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Oh, okay. He was rubbing her feet. And right. I, as a child, liked the fact that this movie was supremely horny, yet it was still getting away with it. It's got that very French sensibility, obviously, where the mm. movie's like extremely horny, but it's kind of doing it in a way that isn't that gross. Um, at least in my book. That's, again, me growing up with this film. Were you surprised by how horny the movie was and how it would just casually show nudity and just have it in the background or just indicate, yeah, characters fuck all the time? How did you feel about that? Um, I, I guess other than the scene with uh, Chris Tucker rubbing her feet, not really. Um, but it did, it did feel kind of out of nowhere, again, because of the pacing. Like, the beginning of this film... It does feel like it takes a while to try and find an even ground of like, okay, this is where the plot's really going to, you know, move one step at a time. We're not just going to jump around from here's the president or here's the villain to here's this faction to here's Bruce mm. Willis. There, there does come a point where we're mostly following Bruce Willis. And I guess by that point, um, because whatever he interacts with would be... Uh, I have a point in my head, but I'm trying to... Yeah, I guess the plot. Um, Elements that he would interact with would be something that would... The fifth element, yeah. The fifth element, yeah. I have an idea in my head, but I'm not wording it correctly at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Once Lilu gets created, that's when the thrust, the momentum of the movie really gets going. Yeah. I, I guess what I was basically trying to say was because Bruce Willis does feel like the audience surrogate, you know, he's the kind of mm. down on his luck guy who isn't in a high position of power and he is the sort of, well, he's ex-military, but the sort of every man 
Um, <laughs> he's every man in the way that these characters can be. Where he's like, he's the every man because he drives a cab, but also he used to be the best of the best. He used to be, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but his so, mum calls him all the time, and his mum calls him all the time. Yes, yeah, some people can relate to that. Um, yeah, but because he isn't in the know about all these, you know, con- conspiracy or prophecy, whichever word mm. you want to use. Um, things that he interacts with either have to make sense to him or be explained to him, and that's good for the audience. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of him? Zorg, he is a bizarre character. I, I will say he is one of the weirdest fucking things in this movie, and I wanted to get your takes on him. <laughs> Gary Oldman, it's quite amazing what a chameleon this man is. He looks like Billy Zane in Titanic throughout <laughs> this whole fucking movie. I'm like, this is Billy Zane. And then it's like, no, no, it's Gary Oldman. Yeah, it's I, he's a guy that I always need to be told, oh, that's Gary Oldman. Because, mm-hmm. you know, as much as we joke about, you know, Stephen Root being someone that I'm blind to, Gary Oldman just transforms so much. Like, this is before... He was serious black, and he doesn't look anything like that character to and me. And before he was uh, Commissioner Gordon. Yes, that's true too. Um, yeah, he was a. <laughs> I liked his accent <laughs> and his big teeth. His <laughs> accent, his big teeth, that weird plastic thing on his head. <laughs> Do you know what he was about in this movie? Do you know what how he, he was about? It in? Yeah, what his character was all about, he... and why he was in the plot. He. He allied himself to the supreme evil, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. How? How did that relationship form? <laughs> when I always, I always lose my mind that the that the planet-sized black ball of energy that's pure evil phones him up, and apparently <laughs> it's not the first time. You know, other other than the phone call, there's a very similar thing that happens in the video game Earthbound, where your bratty, fat, next-door neighbour somehow allies himself with something very similar to the, you know... Uh, <laughs> the darkness. The the darkness, the, the incomprehensible evil. <laughs> yeah, the unstoppable, all-consuming darkness and evil. I... Fucking Gary Oldman's, like, crazy. And I think what I mean by, like, questioning, like, where does he factor in is because he never interacts with Bruce Willis in or Lilu in this fucking movie. It's like he feels like he's adjacent, yet he is interacting. Like, his, his actions affect the plot, but it feels like he is separate because he actually is separate. The closest he gets to them, them is through the priest character. Uh, when the priest comes, when he gets the priest to come visit him, and then he's like doing that giant speech about like chaos and destruction, and then he starts choking to death. That mm. scene, what a great scene! Did we also back when we did um, uh, Tango and Cash? Didn't we also have that Jack Palance was never in the same yeah. scene as the other two until the very end, where they just shot him in the face? Yeah. <laughs> And I guess also jumping even further back, our hypothetical Adam Sandler on his mm. yacht film. <laughs> yeah, but like, what did you think of that? Because that was a big complaint for you in Tango and Cash. Did mm. that uh, uh, complaint still affect you here in uh, The Fifth Element, or was somehow it not uh, the same for you because of, say, Gary Oldman's performance or the character itself? Yeah, I, I think you were half answering my question there for me. Yeah, he 
he had a lot more going on in this film, and it wasn't always just, you know, his henchmen uh, doing everything. Like, this character, he interacted with those alien guys, mm. you know, really memorable scene where he's showing off the gun and his, like, attitude towards them. Um, and, and again, just his, his presence, he, he actually felt like a character. Yeah, well, he, it's because he's wacky. He has, like, all these wacky things to him. Like, as actors, it must have been a fucking delight for him to have, like, oh, I've got these fake teeth and this hair, and I get to walk with a limp, and I have this yeah. wacky accent, and I got yeah, this plastic I, thing on my head. Yeah, when I was looking up about the film after the fact, uh, apparently in an interview, Gary said that he is not fond, he, he doesn't like this film, but he had a good time you know, performing in it, and he doesn't regret doing it because it was a favour for his friend, Luc Besson. Yeah, and, and you could argue that Luc Besson gave him, like, a career swing again with Leon the Professional, because he's the villain in that, Gary Oldman, isn't was he? Was he? Oh, God, I don't He's the hitman. He's the, okay. like, or the cop or whatever. It's been a while since I've seen Leon, but I, he's yeah, the bad guy. I've only seen it for one time. He's the God, bad guy. I have guy. to watch that again, yeah. That's him, that's him. Mm. Um, And that was a big role for Gary Oldman again. I... Okay, I lose it every time with two moments when Gary Oldman is choking to death and he's like hitting everything and it's like cartoony, like all these things (laughs) are swinging around. And then the little, the thing on his desk rises and it opens up. (laughs) And there's a little monster in there. There's a little alien with a little trunk and he looks like from the Flintstones. And I don't know what it does, but then he proceeds to hold and pet it for the rest of the time until he leaves. And I don't know what it was. He, he was apologizing to it because the cherry hit it. Yeah. <laughs> but I it reminded pure evil, but he really cares about that little animal. It, it's You see, it's his duality with our main character who also has an animal that he cares about. His cat that disappears. Yes. And like, there's you know, a plot point where he's like worried about the cat starving, <laughs> and then he just leaves. Yeah, well, I mean, let's not mince words. I like cats, so that definitely was an appeal to me. <laughs> yeah, but do you like little Flintstone dinosaur creatures? <laughs> do you like that? I, I do too. That he reminded me more so of the um, the digitally added aliens from the Star Wars films who like oh, yes. sing and stuff. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Let's talk about the visual elements, because that's a primarily why this movie's remembered. Uh, I don't think it's really as remembered for the heavy plot. I think it's remembered for some character stuff, and but mainly for the striking and, dare I say, iconic visuals. I don't know if once you had watched the movie, if certain visuals were recognisable to you, or if they were completely, like, this is a first take, like, this is all new stuff. Because, to me, I've seen pop culture visually riff on Lilu's outfit, you know, the the white um, bandages outfit that we see her running around in for the first action set piece or two in the film. Yeah, that specifically felt familiar, but I couldn't necessarily point out what, just like mainly, you know, weird sci-fi fantasy things. Yeah. So what did you think of uh, the visual elements, and were there any particular striking uh, moments or costumes or set-piece stuff? I liked the designs of the the robot alien things in the very first scene, the ancient Egypt scene. Mm-mm. Yeah, these big hulking guys with these 
tiny mechanical heads that come out. They the look like they beetles. Move. Yeah, I, I liked I liked how they looked. I was kind of bummed that we didn't get to see them again. Well, she was one of them, at least, Lilu. Yeah, she didn't look like them, though. Well, her design was human lady. Yeah, her design was sexy European lady. Mm. I um like them too. Uh, to get nerdy, Bartek. Uh, did you at all think about the aliens in the TV show Babylon Five, the Vorlons with those guys? Because I did. I thought of these big, hulking, weird aliens in encounter suits that are very cryptic and they speak with these weird voices. I thought of that a lot. Uh, at first, I think I did get a bit of a Kosh vibe to them, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely a movie that feels like it's grabbed a little piece from here and a little piece from there of the sci-fi world. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the visual. It felt very Blade Runner. I, In fact, I always think that this moment is from Blade Runner, but it isn't, which is when Bruce Willis is just chatting while having lunch with the old Asian guy, and then he's like, ah, oh, okay, I'm on the phone to my mom, this is going to take a while, and then the old Asian man's like, okay, that's fine, and you see he starts packing up, and then you see his ship, like, detach from the wall, and he's like, his whole entire shop was just like a floating little boat, and he, yeah. like, sails away, and, like, I always think of that visual, I think that's a really clever, interesting little sci-fi visual, and I like, you know, he's... He set himself up on the wall and we're just, you know, you kind of take it for granted for a little bit of the scene. Yeah, it feels like a very much like a futuristic uh, evolution idea of the delivery boy, where instead of a guy Mm. delivering you food from a food place, the food place comes to you, like, overall. Yeah, and you can see why I have a... It feels Blade Runner-y to me. It reminds me of Deckard when he goes out to get Asian food in that movie a lot and gets fortune cookies and noodles and whatever. It just kind of reminded me of that because he has a similar relationship where it's like he's talking to the guy who owns the thing and then you kind of pan out and you realize you're in a sci-fi world. But this is Mm. like a very realistic, something we can attach ourselves to in the modern day. Um, A visual element I think we have to reference is Bruce Willis's hair. Mm -hmm. That's a very striking thing because it's like the only time we've ever seen him with hair like this which is bleached bleached peroxide white blonde level hair what did you think of that i was more distracted by his singlet what about his singlet his orange singlet his orange brightly colored singlet yeah (laughs) matches her hair it does yeah and her and her little straps that she wears later on the little orangey rubbery strappy thing that she wears over her little white shirt and the weird leggings. Orange is a big uh, recurring colour in this film, I guess. Um, Any other visual elements that came out, jumped out at you? This is a sci-fi world. It's throwing all of these sci-fi aesthetics at you, and I know you aren't as majorly into sci-fi stuff as me. I know you also like your sci-fi to be a little bit more grounded in the real world or like a little bit more recognizable to your everyday life then this is kind of that but also very much not like that any sci-fi stuff that leaped out at you here um the other major thing is another character design of the the opera singer how she had all those like you know tentacles coming out of her things like that Uh, that diva she was awesome (laughs) and she had the stones inside of her Mm. (laughs) what did you think of that that reveal (laughs) 
yeah, it was it was odd. Um, stones inside her because throughout the whole film, I I couldn't remember if 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 we saw what happened to the stones or not. So it was like, oh, it's a mystery to the characters. But did we know or did we not? I, I kind of forgot no, that. So when I found out away. that it was that it was in her, then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I definitely didn't know that. <laughs> no, imagine if you saw that scene where they put them inside of her. Oh, we got to talk about that 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 opera scene. That mm-hmm. fucking opera scene where it starts out like it's normal opera and then it turns into like some weird funky pop music and she's like hitting all of these bizarre notes and she's like doing these weird dance moves. It's like she it. was controlled by a DJ of some sort, yeah. <laughs> what the That's so I fucking love that. I fucking love that. I I love that song so much. I love the visuals of that so so much. Yeah, it it got good when it got good. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. It was already beautiful and serene, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know opera stuff, but then it went to sci-fi land. Yeah, I've seen Highlander too. I know opera. I know opera, Uh, but yeah, it went to sci-fi land, and that's where it really elevated into fun. Um. I'm I'm trying to think. Oh, here's a fun fact for people. Mm-hmm. I watched this movie in my old house that I use that we used to record at back in the day for the podcast, and I showed it to my former housemate Mark, who's been on the podcast before mm-hmm. many a times. And we were watching it, and he was enjoying it, and we got up to the opera scene, and our f- housemate at the time, who was supremely weird and super religious and crazy. Right, that one. Walked in, and she already had, like, a weird relationship with, like, movies. Uh-huh. She cried during Tucker and Dale versus Evil because there's just so much violence coming from a girl who's watched all of the Saw films, so that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, all of her films that she would watch would be the Fast and Furious movies. She walked in and went, was like, oh, what are you guys watching? I can't wait to watch this. And she immediately saw the giant blue alien lady with a tentacle head singing some funky opera. And no joke, she looked at the screen, looked at us, and just said, God, no, and then walked out and never returned. (laughs) She never returned. And I kind of wished that every time we were watching a movie or show and she would walk in to interrupt the fun a blue alien would sing some funky opera to come on screen. Like, I just wish that we could have been watching Fargo and then a blue alien would come on screen. Like, she was the housemate that, when we discussed Fargo, she was the one that said, I don't like this movie. It was, like, pointless and cruel. And I'm like, no, it wasn't. But that's fine. That's a difference of opinion. Mm. Um, What were things that you liked about this movie that isn't Bruce Willis and his Um, character? Well, on the topic of uh, the sound, there were two scenes earlier in the film where the um, the beats of the of the of the score um, really kind of elevated the the what was seeing for me. Um, one of them was when we first saw Bruce Willis because it it, it did give this you know more layperson vibe to him. Uh, you know, he he was in. He was clearly in an apartment room. He's clearly not on the. He's not having a lot of luck in his life, and I felt it was kind of you know grungy and and real. Um, and the other was uh, kind of after that, where you know how Lilo was escaping from the building where she was you know mm. reanimated. Um, when we saw the cops walking through the hall and like that drum beat was going on behind them, mm. um, that gave them like this kind of cool vibe that I really really appreciated. I know it's like a kind of minor moment in the film, but the 
the, the score behind them. that help make a movie. I think people get distracted by saying, oh, it's the big moments, the big, loud shooting scenes. If anything, I think the action set pieces are some of the weaker elements in the in, in this movie, the weaker elements mm. are being the fifth one. But I, I, you know, like, not to say I don't like the action here, but it's not what I come to this movie for. I, I come for this movie for the visuals, and I think Luke Besson here shows himself to be a really good visual storyteller. There's lots of things in the world and in the narrative that you could just turn the sound off and you would still understand like what's happening visually here. And I think he has some really creative and clever little moments uh, in that manner of directing scenes that really linger with you. And uh, the sound design is very important too, and when he chooses to remove sound is also very important. And you have like those amazing shots of... Uh, you know, Lilu, her eyes wide open as she sees, like, the basically what the future city world looks like with all the flying cars. And that stuff is what I like. And I like the humor in The Fifth Element. It doesn't always land, but there are little jokes that I like or little visual cues I like. Like, for instance, talking about Lilu seeing the, the cityscape for the first time, when the cops are in the uh, in the building still, in the in the air duct, and they're convincing her to come back. Yeah, and she I like just this too. Bends down and looks at them and just kind of gives this, dero- like, Ugh, and then walks away. That in <laughs> itself was very funny. They didn't need to make it big. They didn't need to play some comedy music there to manipulate me they just let Milo Jovovich just deliver that moment and it was uh, very see, fun the thing I liked in that moment was the the cop's reaction to the when he when he mm. said that he was like do you understand or something like that and she walked away mm. he just gave this oh she doesn't understand like really genuine <laughs> thing of like well okay our negotiations are not gonna work so she literally does not understand what we're saying so we have to tackle this in a different way it felt like so much was being said in that one moment and it was kind of like oh i wasn't prepared for this yeah i also liked uh another visual gag i like is when bruce willis opens his door and we see the hallway and then the hallway flips up and it's like some guy's wearing a picture of the hallway on his head and he's pointing a gun (laughs) at bruce willis He's trying to rob him, but he's too pathetic and hopped up on goofballs. Mm. And Bruce Willis convinces him and blah, blah, and then takes his gun and he puts it in his rack of many guns, like a great visual way to show us that he deals with this a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I like that. I also like um, Gary Oldman's whole entire... Everything with Gary Oldman. A favorite quote of mine from Gary Oldman, and it's so funny, is late in the movie, he thinks he's got the suitcase or whatever full of the stones and it's very funny because earlier in the movie he chastised these aliens for not actually checking that the stones were in the box before they went Mm -hmm. and then he proceeds to do the exact same thing where he's about to fly off no he's actually flying off and he opens up the box and he's like crying and laughing and he's just like they're not in here and then when he's flying back and he's like oh fuck I gotta go all the way back he just screams out I'm very disappointed (laughs) Yes, because he mentioned earlier he doesn't like being disappointed. No, he doesn't like being disappointed, but the way he screams it reminds me of, like, a video game. Like, I'm very disappointed! (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me of, I can't remember what the game is, but uh, there's this video game donkey has this uh, video about uh, this game in which you have to play as the president... 
and it's because and you're in a giant mecha suit and the vice president has taken over America. Is that Metal Wolf Chaos? Maybe, and it's like very ludicrous lines, uh, dubbed <laughs> lines of yeah, dialogue. I, th- I can't remember the name, but I think that's one that like was made in Japan and they had American voice actors. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like the villain is just like Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, you can't yeah, take America away video from game me. Voice acting. Yeah, and it, Gary Oldman here saying like, "I'm very disappointed." <laughs> very, very <laughs> enjoyable. Very enjoyable stuff. Yeah, um, I think it's Metal Wolf Chaos. Can I tell you my least favorite moment in the entire film? And one of the things that makes me fucking hate this movie. Like, I love this movie, but the thing that drags it down majorly. Um, mm-hmm. Can I tell you what it is, or do you want to guess? No, no, give it to me. The fifth element is love. Uh, well, the fifth element needs love, needs to feel love to be able to work. Uh-huh. I hate that in science fiction. I'm sorry, but that's me. I do not like in science fiction when the equation is love or whatever the fuck it is. Emotions. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I hate it. And I've always hated it. Like when it comes to the end and it's just like, she needs love. And I'm like, oh. Shut See, up. Ryan, for me, as someone who walked in blind and, you know, would make just like a snappy joke to myself, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, Captain Planet, the fifth element is heart. So yep. when it was love in the end, I was like, oh, I was almost right. You're almost right. And I hate, I've always hated that. Like, for instance, in <laughs> Doctor Who, one of the main antagonists is the Cybermen. They assimilate you, make you a Cyberman, and strip you of all emotions. And it's like a scientific process. Like, they, you know, they, they use technology there's an episode where, God, there's an episode where a guy is getting assimilated, one of the main characters of the episode, and he's getting us like he's he's getting converted to a Cyberman. You see his face is closing in with a Cyberman thing, but in the distance he hears his baby crying, and it makes the process of him being assimilated short circuit because he loves his baby so much. And I'm just like, shut up! And I've always hated it in Star Trek Picard. A whole entire Borg cube blew up because a woman felt grief so hard. I'm like, how does that work scientifically? I fuck that. Can I tell you my favorite, favorite example of love being the science is the stupidest thing? Can I tell you? Sure. In the film A Wrinkle in Time that came out a few years ago, Chris Pine's character is trying to figure out how to time travel, and he's almost there, but there's something missing in the equation, and he does a cutting class moment, where he's looking at the whiteboard, he snaps his fingers, runs over and starts profusely writing something, but we don't really see what he's writing, and then he runs away. But, but, but what I didn't tell you there was, he snaps his fingers and says, of course, it's love! <laughs> and writes that down. And I would fucking love to know what love looks like as a scientific equation to make time travel work. I would love to fucking know what that looks like on the whiteboard there. They don't show you because it would be too stupid to be like <laughs> E equals MC love. <laughs> no, it will be a picture of an eyeball. You know how they say like when you see something you love, your pupils you know, yes. become wider. It'll be just that. I, no, I... I have many problems with the fifth element, but that's my biggest. When it comes to the third act and they go back and it's just like, oh, we have to get the elements to work. No, she's not working because she saw what war is and how bad humans are. And then it's like, Bruce, you got to make her feel love. And then he kisses her and then, oh, it shoots up in the air and it's love, love, love. 
suck my dick. <laughs> yeah, I, I, look, for Heartless Monsters, yeah, the film wouldn't work in that regard. There are some films where, you know, the immediate, like, nope, I'm out, check out thing. Like we talked about in the last two episodes, like, yeah. you, the dog gets killed in this, you might not be into it. Yeah, if but it it's is so love. late in the game that the movie's presenting this emotionality over the science side mm-hmm. of things because the movie's been very—it's sci-fi. Look, there's aliens and there's technology. If this movie, as you would like as well, focused in more on Bruce Willis as a central character and his ongoing relationship with Lilu and the love between them. I would buy this a lot more, but the love aspect is obviously there because, you know, he's the main character, she's the main girl, of course, of course. Yeah, but I should also add that in, like, more Bruce, more of our main character and also more of the lead girl. Yeah, of Mila Jovovich, and I would love more of their love on screen. I, I can't tell you if the two actors have good chemistry or not. I can tell you that they're both really good as their characters, but I can't really guarantee you the answer that they have amazing chemistry because I feel like we didn't get to spend enough time with them. She spends a lot of time with the fucking um, Bilbo the Baggins. Guy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I I I agree. The I feel like she definitely needed a lot more screen time because for most of the film obviously at the beginning when she was kind of freaking out, but after that when she starts hanging out with the the priest guy, um she is this kind of cutesy comedic reactionary character who's like learning about things and Multipass. like says funny lines and Yeah. It, it, in a way, like she, she felt alien. We didn't really understand mm-hmm. anything about her. What she actually feels like, it does she feel anything for Bruce Willis? Like obviously, when he kissed her, she didn't like that. So that was a very human thing. But yeah. then after that, it's all like you know, multi-pass things like that. And, and, I would have liked again, if her learning humanity instead of watching it on a TV screen or reading a book, it was with her experiences through Bruce Willis. Yeah, it's and, as obvious and like as that. And like you said, it would help the case of love. Yeah, like I really don't feel like he taught her as much about humanity as she already taught herself. And I know you could say like, oh, it's strong female character representation that she leans, that she learns it herself. But she's not a strong female character. She's a very much a fetishistic character. Let's not pretend that that isn't the case. She's in skimpy outfits all the time, and she's basically, like, a a sexy lady who's also, like, the mind of a child, which is already weird. There's a whole entire fucking video essay called Born Sexy Yesterday, which is a whole entire thing about how movies and TVs do this, and they use this example as, like, the thesis statement point. So it's not like let's pretend like that isn't the case, that she's like a strong female character she really isn't she's she's a badass she's perfect but really she's the MacGuffin and she's the eye candy of the i was movie. literally waiting for my moment to talk it's like and on top of all that she's also the MacGuffin. she's also the, the MacGuffin of the film that everyone wants she's well, the titular thing yeah well gary Oldman doesn't even want her he just wants the stones that's all he, he wants. just wants to please his wife with the shadow Oh, can we talk about that moment where you talked to Mr. Shadow on the phone and some fucking stuff started pouring out from the top of Gary Oldman's head? What was <laughs> yeah. that? Um, I I think the film wanted that to be blood. But it was, like, but, brown? But it was incredibly, I think the word is viscous, because mm-hmm. when he wiped it off, it didn't leave a smear. It was and it jelly-like. Was really, and like you said, it was really dark, so... 
Where yeah. did it come from? Because when we cut to the wide shot, it's not like it emerged from underneath the plastic thing. And like, like if it emerged from the top of his head, it would have dripped underneath the plastic thing. But it, like, there's this weird one drip spot on the top of, like, in the middle of the plastic thing. But it's like, you're trying to visually look at it, and there's no indication of where this drip formed from. Mm, it's, that's, it's, yeah, that's a good point. Like, if you watch the scene again and you watch it fully, tell me where it's coming from. I know it's coming from somewhere on his head, but really, the real answer is somebody standing over Gary Oldman, dripping it on his face. <laughs> That's where it's coming and from. And that someone is the shadow. But it's a memorable moment. It's mm. memorable. Like, it doesn't logistically make sense. And I think that's the thing that I really want to reinforce for people that are getting annoyed listening to me. I love this movie, and I've grown up with it. It's hard to attach, detach myself from that. And I'm bagging it out, but... There is that thing that uh, that Bartek isn't getting from this movie that I do get, which is, sure, logistically it doesn't make sense, and structurally as a movie it could be better, and the characters could be this, 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 but it's memorable. There's memorable moments, there's memorable characters, there's memorable lines, there's striking visuals and, and memorable pieces of music. It has lots of memorable stuff here. And, yeah, is that making it a great or good film? No, not necessarily, but it does make it one that I will not forget easily. Where in a world where there are so many movies I see, they are so forgettable. Like, how many MCU movies visually have very little going on that will stick with you? Most of them. I could barely tell you anything that happened visually that was striking in Spider-Man Far From Home outside of the sequences where they gave it purely to the CGI team to play with. But here in The Fifth Element, you even said it, Bartek, Bruce Willis's outfit, orange bright orange singlet, his big sci-fi gun, and that white blonde hair. It's memorable. You will remember that look. When you think the fifth element and you remember Bruce Willis is in it, you'll think of that outfit and you'll think of that hairstyle. Yep. And, you know, that's, that's something important to herald about this, is there's clearly an artistic vision here. I mean, for fuck's sake, the outfits are made by, like, a real fashion designer. I can't remember which one it is off the top of my head, but, like... A, Jean-Paul Gaultier, was it? Yeah, a real big fashion designer. And, you know, you see the outfits, and they're striking. Like, remember the McDonald's outfits? Yeah, they they had the, the wigs, right? Yeah, and, like, the, the, their hats with the big golden arches, and... <sighs> memorable, memorable. Or even little things that they don't explain, like add to scenes like for instance in the airport the, the 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 lady at the counter apologizes for the mess and they're like what mess it's like you know all the garbage and you see behind them and you've seen the, the whole scene like all of the walls are covered in trash bags why is that mm. there <laughs> i don't know but i, I it's cool <laughs> yeah and i guess they also have like consistent design elements like the fact that uh, all these places, both public and private, have their yellow dots on the wall for, like, when the police come to like, put your hands on mm. those things specifically. Yeah, which also says a lot about the world. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else is there to say about The Fifth Element. Anything else you want to touch upon? This is your first time viewing. There's a lot of stuff here. Anything else? Um, 
uh, prophetic stuff, gun, uh, guns at the airport, you know, freak mm. out at the airport, uh, a black president, you know, how crazy is that? <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a prophetic film. Prophetic. You heard it here, folks. It's prophetic. I like that the movie ends on the two main characters fucking. That's how the movie ends. <laughs> Just yes, to remind you, it's made by a pervert. Yeah. It reminds me of Eurotrip. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Everyone's favorite film, Eurotrip. Take a drink. You know, it's funny. How many yeah. times have you watched Eurotrip? I don't know. Too many times. A lot of times. A lot of yeah. times. It's so fucking funny to me that you will bring up and reference Eurotrip and Saved by the Bell so many times, and yet with films that are genuinely good and ones that you've liked, within two weeks you will have barely any reference points for them and barely remember the details. It's just so odd to me what films stick with you. But it's okay, because I remember Eurotrip. Because he remembers Eurotrip, the greatest film ever made. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Bruce Willis. That's the final thing I mainly want to talk about. Mm-hmm. We've had this conversation every single time he's come on. Every single time he's come on. What happened to this guy? Where did this guy go? He was so fucking charming in this movie. There were so many moments in which he reminded me of what a movie star he is was. And there were so many moments where it, I, I went, that's why they cast him. This moment of charm, this moment of levity, this moment of badassery. Like, the moment in which, you know, he's like, yeah, I'll negotiate and just shoots the guy in the fucking head. Bad ass. Where's this guy? What happened to him, Bartek? I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 this weird thing, because I, I didn't grow up with Bruce Willis or anything like that, so I'm very much uh, familiar with kind of modern Bruce Willis, you know, what he's like, not necessarily mm. the roles he's done, and the fact that he um, is, is somewhat of a diva when it comes to picking movies these days and his attitudes towards them. Like, obviously I think of the Kevin Smith stuff a lot. Um, so it always throws me off when I do watch something older with him in it. And it's not what I was expecting based on my modern understanding. <laughs> and he's like capable and he's dedicated to the project and he's taking risks. Like this is a risk for him because yes, it's a sci-fi action movie, but it's like weird and French, and, like, odd, and sexual, and bizarre, and he's having to dye his hair, and it's, like, weird. It's weird. The fifth element's weird. And he would used to take these roles, like, like, doing, uh, you know, like, doing The Sixth Sense, or Unbreakable. Good, risky roles, because at that period of time, he was known as Mr. Die Hard, Mr. Action Man. So, what did he do? He did really quiet character dramas to remind us that he can actually fucking act. You know what he had in this film, Ryan? What? He had the fifth element. He had the fifth element. He yes. had love. He had love. But I'm... Yeah, he had love. Maybe it's because Bruce used to care. And now he doesn't, and he just makes movies for money. And I think people often compare him nowadays with Nicolas Cage, because a lot of them, a lot of those director Redbox movies. I think the difference is Nicolas Cage needs money, but he still likes being an actor. And Bruce wants money, but doesn't like being an actor. That's how I come at it these days. Maybe. Maybe. It's weird Let's to ask say... Him. It's weird to say that Nicolas Cage is actually genuinely more charismatic of an actor and a person than Bruce Willis is currently. When Bruce, that was his thing. He was Mr. Affable, Mr. Blue Collar, Mr. Charm. He was... 
he was, you know, he's he's McLean. But here, it's, you know, you watch The Fifth Element and you're reminded, where did this... That's what I was thinking. Where did this guy go? Just to remind everyone, I haven't seen Die Hard, but I've seen Eurotrip a lot. Yeah, yeah. Is he in Eurotrip? No, he's not. Well, then you have no point of reference then. Yeah. Was he in uh, Saved by the Bell? No. Was he in GTA? I don't think so, no. Was he in Final Fantasy? <laughs> oh, yeah. He was the main character of Six. <laughs> he was Sephiroth? <laughs> no, that's Seven, Ryan. With his big hair. Yeah, Bruce Willis <laughs> known for his hair. Uh, that's it, people. The Fifth Element. You know, overall, I enjoyed revisiting this I don't think it held together fully, but it is one of those guilty pleasure festivals. And even on that level, it's supremely well made. And like a lot of practical effects and makeup and some still pretty impressive CGI work as well. Like I want to point that out too. There's still some very impressive CGI elements to the movie. Not all, not all, but still some pretty good stuff. Uh, Anything else you want to say to wrap on this? Would you recommend? Um, I, I, I guess this is another one where even though I didn't enjoy the film, other people clearly do. This is a classic film. Obviously, some people love this film. And I think you said it at the very beginning of this episode. This is one that you just have to experience yourself. So, mm. yeah, definitely check it out. See if it is your cup of tea. It wasn't quite mine. But, you know, as you've heard in this episode, there were things I liked about it. All right. It's your recommendation for the next movie, Bartek. Yep, yep, what? this time we're doing one of my sci-fi films. Eurotrip isn't sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I was going to introduce this film as one that I've seen probably more times than any other film, but then I'd have to specify that it's not Eurotrip. Mm. Um, so, and I'm half tempted to change it to Eurotrip now, but no. no. Um, we are doing a film that I've mentioned a few times on this podcast as one that I've probably seen more times than any other film just because... When my stepbrother used to live here, we put it on, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a film from 2000 uh, mm-hmm. with both our lead characters in this film are returning actors for us. We haven't seen either of them in a while. Oh. It is Dude, Where's My Car? My favourite sci-fi movie. <laughs> my favourite sci-fi. I love that science fiction film, Dude, Where's My Car? Yeah. You remember what's in that film. Dude, if you've car. seen it. Yes, yeah, it's a, this car. I, I do. I do. Thank also, you. I think Jennifer Garner's in it. Oh, everyone's in it. Everyone's in it. Everyone's in it. It'll be one of those festival of joys where we revisit all these cast members and be like, remember when they did this movie? Have we had Fabio on before? Yeah, Bubble Boy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, He was the cult leader in Bubble Boy that he met and they made a cult around Bubble Boy. Yeah, that's right, yeah. He's in this as well, yeah. <laughs> Dude, we've had Fabio on the show before. Yeah, and we'll have him again next week. <laughs> All right, uh, dude, where's my car? Dude, From... where, where's my end of lockdown? Dude, where's my end of watch? <laughs> we already did that movie. Uh, that's it. Uh, Bartek, where can people find us on the internet? You can find us on the internet at various platforms. Most prominently, we are on Twitter, Spit and Polish Presents. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Spit and Polish Presents. We post uh, our episodes every week there. But our episodes are uploaded to Podbean and from there distributed to YouTube, uh, mm. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, all of the podcatchers. 
as Ryan calls it. Yep. And if you want to contact us directly, you know, privately, you can contact us at the email address spitandpolished at gmail.com. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, until. Welcome. Oh, no, no, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, you are welcome. Until next time, guys, just keep safe out there. Keep listening to our podcast until the next episode. Like, continuously. Li- you know, can people realistically listen to every episode of our podcast back to back for a week? Do we have you know enough what? content? I think we do. You know what? On iTunes, if you give me like one minute, I think it will tell me like the total runtime of the episodes that we've released currently. I hope that it goes for like seven days worth. I think we have enough for seven lots of 24 hours. I think we have like nearly 300 episodes or however many. So oh, it's not telling me. It's just saying, oh, you've got 292 episodes. Well, we will have enough. So you can listen from Big Fat Liar till now, and uh, hopefully we'll be back with a new one for you. Uh, that's it. Uh, I keep saying that's it because that is it. I only speak two languages, English and bad English. Well, I speak three. No, you speak four, Polish and bad Polish. And and simple English, my favourite Wikipedia language. I'm always disappointed when there's no simple English version of articles. <laughs> I remember the first one I ever looked at was the one for World War One, and the first sentence was, World War One was a war that involved the whole world. That's why it's called a world war. And it was the first one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>